0: And thank you. You may be seated as you're seated, grab your Bibles, and let's begin this morning in Psalm 127, and as we lay a foundation for our thinking, Psalm 127, as we've referenced, we're in a family series here, a Christian home and family series. We're trying to just compartment um, we've kind of compartmentalized the home and the family, and we've looked at some of the component parts. The role of the father, the role of the mother, teenagers, and the struggle with teenage rebellion. Today we want to be challenged in the area of our children. Uh, In a lot of ways, thinking about our younger children and the opportunity that we have to raise them. I want you to notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 127, beginning with verse 3. Psalm 127, verse 3. He says, "...Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord." And the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. You know what God's saying through the psalmist here is that children are a gift from God. Children are a blessing. And so let's see a hand here. How many of you really believe your children are... Don't raise your hand. How many of you really believe that your children are a gift and a blessing from God. I think we all believe that and know that, don't we? And notice the imagery that the psalmist uses. He has a picture of an archer, a warrior with a quiver and a bow and arrows. And, and he's, his children are like his arrows in his quiver. And and if you continue the analogy and you're thinking, our job is to, is to shoot the arrows out, isn't it? We have such a limited window of time to raise our kids. Do you feel that in your home? I have certainly felt it in our home. 18, 19, 20 years goes by just like that. And we're launching these arrows and, and we, have, we want to influence their trajectory. We want to have influence as to their direction and their purpose and We long to raise godly children, don't we? Well, I have to tell you as we begin this morning that I have found this sermon uh, perhaps to be the most difficult of all the sermons in the family series so far to prepare. On the one hand, the reason it's been difficult for me is because as I sit down to study and read and think about it and meditate upon where we're going with it, I think, I just really don't know how to raise kids. I don't think I know anything about kids. I mean, I used to think I knew a lot. I was a, you know, a crackerjack youth pastor and a young father, and I thought I was really good with kids. But the older I get, the more I wonder. I just don't know. I don't know. And then on the other hand, I have so much that I want to share. I think that we need to launch like today. We could be raising a 12-Sunday series on just this part of, of parenting and raising kids in the home. There's so much to think about and so much to address with their minds, their hearts, our world the how tos, the what to dos, and and there's so many ways, and I I recognize that there there is a spectrum of of parenting going on here. Some of you have young kids, some of you have teens, some of you have older kids, some of you your your children are 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 well older, and you have grandkids, even great grandchildren, and so we all have a are at a little different level, you know, when we're raising our children and they're young, and they don't really do what we want them to do. Sometimes it's kind of funny, like spaghetti over the head. Or I was thinking about a story that I heard of a, of a woman and her family. The mom was telling the story about their family moving to a rural area, and she had a little three-year-old girl in her home, and, and so they didn't have neighbors nearby. And so one of the things she was concerned about was that her little three-year-old girl would be able to make a 911 call and be able to identify their address and, and be able to follow through if, for, was an, if there was, for some reason, an emergency. And so the mom was teaching her daughter about 911 and instructing her. And so she had gotten to her instruction with her three-year-old that she thought, okay, I'm going to test her. So she says to her little girl, all right, so what would you do if you found mommy on the floor and you couldn't wake me up? And the mom said she could see the girl's little brain going to work And finally the little girl blurted out I would go to the kitchen and eat anything I wanted, she said (laughs) And so we laugh and we think it's funny And we can't wait till dad gets home We want to tell him what she said It was hilarious, but it was absolutely wrong And so we try, don't we? We try to teach our kids. We try to use teachable moments. We try to use our own lives as stories. Teachable moments sometimes can be right there on an unexpected way, like another young mother who had been teaching her little boy how to cross the street. Said, now, we always look both ways. We always want to look both ways. They lived on a kind of a busy street and they had a, a little family puppy Named Flower. And you know what happened to Flower. Flower got away, ran in the street, and was hit by a car. And so they ran out, the mom and her little boy, and the mom is knowing that she's got some teachable moments here that she ought to take advantage of. And they gathered up Flower. Flower was still alive, and they took him into the basement and decided to call the veterinarian. And yes, he would make a house call and come right away. And while they were waiting for the veterinarian, Um, Flower stopped breathing, passed away. They lost their puppy. So the mom thinks to herself, well, um," so she begins to talk to the boy, said, now Flower didn't look both ways. And she wanted to ingrain in her little boy that when we cross the road, we look both ways. And so after a minute of trying to remind her little boy of these lessons, life lessons, she says, she asked him, now, now, what is mommy trying to teach you, honey? And he quickly just piped up, don't die in the basement. <laughs> so we laugh when they're little. But it's not funny when they're a little bit older, is it? They begin to grow. And they get a few years, 11, 12, 13, and now they don't do what we ask Now they make fun of what we're teaching. Now they disregard the hearts of their parents. And it goes from being comical to tragic. Not just tragic, but deeply tragic. Disgracefully tragic. And what do we do? What do we do? We long for our children to live for God. We long to see them not make the mistakes that some of us have made. We long to see them follow hard after Christ. And I would say that one of the more tragic things that we can experience is for our children to look at us with disdain and disgust and to turn away from every good thing we've ever taught them to turn their back on God, to turn their back on the church, to turn their back on their father and their mother and in a spirit of haughtiness and arrogance to despise everything you've been trying to pump into their lives. What do you do? What do you do? Well, it's very difficult, isn't it? There is no magic formula to make sure that your children will turn out We recognize that our children are born with sin nature, with a sin nature. Our children's greatest need is to come to the cross and understand that they are a sinner and that they stand before a holy God unfit in and of themselves. And we long to see the day when that clicks and they understand that they need the blood of Christ to cleanse them from all unrighteousness, to begin to work the gospel transformation in their lives. I recognize that some of you have prodigal children today. Some of you have adult children that are far from Christ. Some of you are aging and you're worried that you might never live to see the day for God to answer your prayer to bring your child back home. What a burden breaks your heart. Can I encourage you today? Don't give up. Keep loving them, keep praying for them, keep asking God for wisdom, how to interact with them. It is possible, it occurs to me, it is possible that someday as they stand at your graveside and you are on to glory and they're at your graveside, it could be that God will begin a new work of grace in their lives. You might never live to see it, but don't give up because it's not over yet. So keep praying, keep being faithful. These are deep challenges, aren't they, in parenting. It is is difficult for us to know what to do with rebellious children. We could call them arrows that don't fly straight. And so this morning, it's on my heart for us to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Um, And I want us to take in God's Word this morning, and I want to encourage you. I want in no way to beat you up. I want in no way to... um, to bring false guilt upon you. Remember, as we've reminded you in this entire series, you cannot undo the past. You cannot keep looking back. You must look forward. You must run to the cross. You must let the blood of Christ cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And there, at the foot of the cross, get your equilibrium and start over and look forward and count on the grace of God to do a work in your life and in the lives of your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a chapter that's about directing the hearts of our children. What a challenge it is to raise godly children. And this passage is all about that, and I think that God has a word for us here. I want us to take the time to read the entire chapter. You follow along in your copy of God's Word, then have your notes nearby if you're a note-taker, and we will move on. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'll understand even as we read some of the context, historically. This is God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob to give you, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God, big G, against God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and His testimonies, and His statutes, which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give you to your fathers, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. And when your son asks you in the time to come... What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. He brought us out from there that He might bring us in and give us the land that He swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. What a challenge for parents today and even our young people as we listen in. The first thing I want you to see as we talk about having generational influence, as we talk about what it takes to raise up godly children. How do we do this? What do we do? We need to recognize some things. The first thing we need to recognize is that, it, that this generational influence, parenting, is God-commanded. It is God-commanded. Uh, notice that this was a direct command to Israel. You might even use that as an argument against the fact that it might not apply so much to us today, but it really does. What we use here is an example. It's a model recognized that God had Israel to himself. There was no king. There was no president. There weren't governors. There was a mouthpiece, Moses. And when God spoke, he directed as conduit, as an amplifier, as a speaker system to the people, exactly what God wanted to tell the people. And so when God has a people to himself, he says, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love me with all my heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I want you to teach your children to do this. I'm commanding you. And so we have, letter A, a model required in Israel. God required parents to pass truth to the next generation. It is a parental obligation. And He commanded it to the Israelites. And it provides a model for us. And if you doubt that, then know this, letter B, that this became a mandate repeated for the church. It became a mandate repeated to the church. I mean, where do you think Paul got the concept in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he goes on to say, you do this, and what does he say? And it will go well for you. This is where he got it. And this springs directly out of the Ten Commandments where we have the command given that we are children are to obey their parents, that you will be blessed in the land that you're going in and it will go well for you. And what Deuteronomy 6 is, is like a color commentary on the Exodus 20 Ten Commandments that were already given. And Paul picks that up. And when he speaks to the church at Ephesus, which applies directly to our church today, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord that it may go well with you. This is a parental mandate, and the first thing we need to understand is that transferring truth to the next generation, parenting, is, is God-commanded. Secondly, I want you to see that it's parent-directed. This is kind of a no-duh kind of thing, but uh, you know that parenting, it's all about parents, actually. Sometimes we think parenting is all about kids, but parenting is given about the parents, It's parent directed. I want you to notice this passage given by God, God commanded, is also parent directed. He is speaking directly to the parents. First of all, I want you to see that he speaks, letter A, to the heart of the parent. To the heart of the parent. Notice what he says. He says right away, verse 5, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the parents, he's not talking to the children. He's saying to the parents, You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart so that you can do this to your sons and your sons' sons. It's generational. The first thing he addresses is the heart of the parent. And these words that I commanded you today, he says at the end of verse 6, shall be in your heart. What's in your heart today, parents? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? That's where it starts. So parenting starts in the heart of the the parent. Secondly, I want you to see that it moves to the home of the parent. We're talking about foundationally, what are the most important things to think about as a parent? Number one, my heart. Number two, my home. What's going on in my home? God is directing His instruction to parents in the home. Look what He says. Verses 7-9, through "...sit shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house." What's going on in your home? Is your home a place where God is lifted up, where God is honored, where Christ is at the center? Starts in your heart, moves to your home. So then you say, well, I need some how-to here, so... Where's my how-to list? Let's see what God gave Israel as a how-to list. Let her see the how-to for the parent. The how-to for the parent. How do I do this? Well, look what God gave. He didn't notice. He didn't give like 99 cool tips for being a cool parent. He didn't tell them whether they should get a red cup, sippy cup, a green sippy cup, or a blue sippy cup, or a stainless steel sippy cup. He didn't tell them stop drinking out of plastic because it's toxic. He didn't tell them you need to use cloth diapers and not fake diapers and, you know, all kinds of tips and things, you know. Who knows? There's no end to that stuff. But look what God does say. It's sort of a how-to list. Okay, He says, it's got to be in your heart. It's got to be in your home. And what is that going to look like? The first thing I want you to see on the how-to list for the parent in Israel was... Their parenting was to spring from their personal testimony, from their personal testimony. They were to love the Lord their God with all their heart. We've already emphasized what's going on in their heart. Their testimony. The transforming work of the gospel that had changed their lives. I'm transferring it to the New Testament, but... That's where we start. God has done a transformative work in my heart through the gospel, and that fills my heart, and now that's going to spill over from my heart into my home, into my children. Did you notice, we won't take time to review the rest of the chapter, but did you notice that later in the second half of this passage that we just read in Deuteronomy 6, that there was going to be a day when He says to them, your Son will come to you, and He will ask you, what about all these commands? What about all these commands and rules that we have? And you will tell your son your testimony at that time. You will tell your son, boy, we were once slaves in Egypt. And let me tell you how bad it was. I was a slave in Egypt and I was in captivity and I couldn't be. And then one day God came and delivered us. And I want to tell you, this is what God has done for us. I want to tell you, your testimony is as applicable today as it was in old in the old ages of Israel. And one day your your boy's going to come to you. He say, "Man, I don't like that, Mister Sobalski. He's wearing me out. All these rules, all this Sunday school stuff, this Bibles, Bible, 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 Daddy. Why do I have to do this stuff, boy? Let me tell you something. I was once a slave. I was once once in a bondage of sin." And my life was going nowhere fast, young man. And I want to tell you what God did. One day, God came in and he delivered my life. And he transformed me. I want to tell you, I want to tell you that the gospel transformed my life. And young man, we owe everything we have to the gospel. You go to Mr. Sebalci's class and you keep learning. And you just listen and you learn and you grow. Our testimony, that's where he's going. So you want to know? Personal testimony. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Parents, do you have a testimony? you got to have a testimony if you're going to be a Christ-centered parent. Secondly, our core values. Our core values. Look what he says. Not only do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, that's your testimony. That's the transformation of life. With all your soul, with all your might, this stuff is real and it's changing your life. It's the real deal and it permeates everywhere. It's all of your soul and all of your mind and might. It affects the core values of your world. So stop and think, parents, about your heart and about your home and about your testimony and about your core values. Is it oozing Christ? Is everything about your life altered by a biblical worldview? Thirdly, he says, "Your thoughts and your meditations." Notice what he in the text. We're just tracking and breaking down the text into notes. If you're looking there, and these words that I command you today, verse six. Look what he says. They shall be on your heart. That's meditations. What are you meditating about? What are you meditating? You know, that's a really good test, by the way. You get on your tractor and you start mowing for a while. And you've got about an hour on the mower and the mach- machine's running and you've got your earplugs in and, and you've got time to, to, to just think. What are you thinking about? What are you meditating about? You get on your stepper machine at the gym or your spin bike or whatever it is that you're going to spend a lot of time in, and you could crank up your earphones and, and, and listen to whatever you like to listen to or just leave them off and start pedaling for about a half an hour after about a half hour. Where's your mind? What are you meditating about? He says, he said, the transformed heart, the transformed home, the God-centered life, it, it's part of their meditations. I'm not saying that you, you don't have to think about all kinds of things. It's not wrong to think about that new, new deer rifle, especially you're going to buy or something like that. But you understand what he's saying? It's part of the essence of your core value system to the degree that it's part of your thought processes. It's what you meditate about. It's what you fill your mind with. You could even ask yourself this question, parents. When's the last time you memorized a Bible verse? When's the last time you memorized a Bible verse? You won't be meditating on the things of God if, if not very much of the things of God are in there to meditate on. He moves on and he says, um, your thoughts and meditations, did I already say that? Your core values, your thoughts and meditations, this shall be on your heart. Did you see that? I think I was on that one, or it might have been 8 o'clock or 9.30, I'm not sure which. Number four, notice the public interaction. As you engage with the public, as you connect with people, there's going to be a God-centeredness about you. He said, you shall teach them diligently your children and, and you shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. The public interaction is when you walk by the way, even when you go to Walmart or wherever you go, you don't change. You, you live the God-centered life and your children are observing your value system, even in public interaction. Notice that we have a steady, determined exchange, number five, to teach them diligently so we will teach them diligently. The beginning of verse 7, it says, you informa- shall teach them diligently. This is a determination. This is an exchange of information that I'm committed to. I've got to make this happen somehow. Number six, it's part of our daily conversation. He said, when you... You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. Just part of our conversation is about the things of God, about, about the applicable things of, of God and his word and Christ. I'm not just like this spiritual Joe that all I talk about is theology. But the point is that my whole world is so saturated with the things of God that I have a perspective that I see God in these things. And I can transfer this truth to my children in that context. It's even in daily conversation. Number seven, and that conversation is both incidental, it's incidental when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So just as we go about the daily routines of life, there is some kind of a testimony of the things of God that my children are learning. Why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we say? Why do we go where we go? Why don't we go where we go? Why are we careful with certain things? All of these things are part of the conversation and there's just ongoing training that's incidental. It's just always going on when you rise up, when you sit down, when you lie down. But it's also a structured time. Not only is it incidental, but it's intentional. You shall write them. Look what he says. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Frontlets between your eyes. He's talking about phylacteries. That was a little box where they would write the scripture out, put it in a box, write a scripture on a piece of paper, roll it up, put it in a box, strap it to their head with ribbons so that wherever they went, the word of God went before them. That's legalism. It's a waste. It's stupid. It It doesn't change lives. But if you take the Scripture and you move it like a an inch and a quarter in to the gray matter behind the box, behind the bone that's there into the gray matter, you go go from here to here without the box, now you're talking. Now God has something He can work in your life. And notice that He does this by, they even write it on their doorposts. There's something about their house that when you go in their house, You will learn the things of God, that it is a God-centered culture in that house. It's not a house of the world, something different. I don't have to paint my house a different color when I become a Christian. God just transforms my house. And so in that context, that's what he's saying. Here's the how-to. The how-to for the parents in Israel... It's got to be part of your heart, part of your home, part of your testimony, part of your core values. It's part of your incidental conversation. It's part of your mem- normal, structured conversation. You have sit down at the table with a pen and a notebook and do it. Sometimes you memorize verses together. Sometimes, sometimes you're just talking about it. Sometimes when you fail, whatever you're talking about these things, it's, it's part of life. So I was thinking about wanting to have that kind of home and wanting to influence my child and wanting to be a good parent. And I was thinking maybe we need to think about some of the practical ways that we undermine our own spiritual godly influence. This isn't so much taken from Scripture as it is from my own failures in my life and my own pastoral ministry experience and observations. Number one, if you want to undermine your parental influence for Christ in your home, say one thing and live another That's called hypocrisy, by the way. That's hypocrisy. You know, when your child gets to be about 10 or 11, probably 11, 12 years old, they have a hypocrisy meter that kicks in. You can't fool them anymore. You could kind of trick them when they're little. You could kind of like misdirect them, fool them a little bit. Remember the old Candyland game, man? And you got to go to purple, and I go like three purples down instead of the next purple. To make that game speed up. And at first you could fool them and trick them. But not anymore. Daddy. Daddy, you missed some. Oh, man. And <laughs> they get to be about 10 or 11, 12 years old. Daddy. I saw you do that. And you start. Yeah. Amen. You start. You, you demonstrate in your life. This. Reality of words that say one thing and a lifestyle that does another thing, and I'm telling you, you're, you're going to have a real hard time pointing your kids to Christ. They don't like that. Now, when they get to their middle teen years, they become experts on pointing out hypocrisy in your life. They don't see it in their own, but they see it in yours. You just got to live through that time. Secondly, godless words, godless words. You want to you want to undermine the spiritual authority in your own home? Swear and curse and use the Lord's name in vain. And when your anger say stupid things and and malign other people with your words and disparage people unkind words and slander and then turn around and try to tell your kids to follow after God, they don't care two cents for what you have to say. Your own words will expose your heart to the degree that your child will know doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I don't think Jesus really transformed your life. Thirdly, Godless entertainments. Godless entertainments. You know? What kind of video games are you? Dad, how come movies are you watching? What kind of stuff are, are you getting down on your 14-year-old and you're doing the same thing? Dad, how come you can do I can't do Well, I'm a man. Well, your 14-year-old wants to be a man too. Is that what men do? Is that what men of God do? You're 42 years old and you're addicted to video games just like your kid? Come on, man. These inter- entertainments will undermine your very testimony for Christ. They will. It matters. You think, oh, that doesn't really matter. It matters very much. You're gonna to talk to talk to your kids about living for God and living a disciplined life and moving forward for Christ and And you've got these inconsistencies. How about complaining? It goes back to our words. Number two, number four is related. Complaining about church, pastor, and spiritual things. Not just our words in general, but specifically when we talk negatively about the things of God or the people of God or the place of God. Keep it to yourself. If you and your wife have something to talk about, about things not going well at church or a problem with a family, don't, don't talk about that in front of your kids. You're putting down the pastor, putting down the church, putting down the Sunday school program, you are undermining the very causes of Christ that you're trying to ingrain in their lives. Number five, refusing to admit failure, to ask forgiveness, or to make restitution. You know we make mistakes, don't we? Kids in here, you know your mom and dad aren't perfect. Your dad's not perfect, Lon. You yeah, know, you make a mistake once in a while. When we make mistakes and we sin against our children I remember a time I lost my temper really bad with Jonathan and I humiliated him in front of other people I yelled and reamed him out for some dumb stuff he did right in front of other people and I, I was really wrong I had lost my temper I was really upset and I did not handle it well what are you going to do? what are you going to do? You can't undo it. So, you know, you got to find a time. It might be a time when they're lying down in bed and you've shut the lights off. you got to go sit on the edge of the bed and you say, pal, can I talk to you? Mm. I think that meant yes. <laughs> pal, I want to tell you that um, I was really wrong today when I did that. I was really out of line. It was wrong. I wouldn't have wanted anybody to do that to me. I sinned against you. I sinned against God. I've asked the Lord to forgive me. Will you please forgive me for sinning against you? And then be quiet. What else can you do? Your kids know you're not perfect. And what are you cross? So I'll tell you what. Your kids are going to mess up. You mess up. You better show them how to run to the cross. You better show them how to dive underneath the fountain of grace because you need it just as much as they do. And you've got to teach them how to do that. And if you don't do that, and you act like for some reason you don't need to do that, you undermine the very spiritual authority in your home that God has given you. Refusing to admit failure, ask forgiveness, or make restitution. Number six. Giving yourself a pass on sin. This is closely related. Maybe five and six are closely related. Giving yourself a pass on sin or the things that are unethical or less than good. You know, you're cutting corners and then you get after your kid for cutting corners. The very thing in principle that you're disciplining your child for, you do. Or they're watching and they're listening. They hear you tell a fib to the doctor's office that called and you, you said things that weren't true. Your kid knows it's true. You know you're going to be here next Thursday. You said you're, gonna, you're not, you're not going to be home. Or tell them I'm not home. You are home. You tell them I'm not home. You're home. What is a kid supposed to do with that? You lied. That's what you did. And you train in ethics and your integrity is on the line and, and that's part of transferring truth. I'll tell you a story in our home just yesterday. So... We work out at Shepherd Wellness Center, the Shepherd University Wellness Center, and they got, a, got you get a thing going that for members in the month of May, if you swipe your card 20 times, you get a free month. And I'd really like to swipe my card 20 times in the month of May, and I'm not doing so well. I'm like at seven or eight only, and it's, it's like, what, the 20th. And so we had a really busy day yesterday, and I didn't have time to go to the gym. We had graduation, and graduation parties, weddings, wedding to do here sermon to finish preparing no time and well on our way to one of the graduation parties we were going to go right by shepherd wellness center so i thought i'll tell you what let's stop by real quick and i'll run in and swipe my card and janet said well you don't have the right clothes on i said i can go up and walk around the track (laughs) jonathan's in the back seat listening So that's not the point well it doesn't matter It was funny, it didn't go away. Late last night, about midnight, early this morning when I crawled in bed, I kissed Janet on the back of the neck. And she, her words were, I can't believe that you wanted to stop by and swipe that card at the gym. (laughs) My conscience speaking. It's kind of a dumb story, but aren't those the exact situations that we teach our children? We're teaching. We're teaching how we think. We're teaching the motives of our heart. We're teaching Christian behavior versus just human behavior. Facilitating and enabling sin, number seven, in the life of your child. Man, you say, well, I think they're going to do it anyway, so they might as well do it here in our bedroom. God forbid. You got a kid that you're worried about who's old enough and struggling with sin, who's like, well, they're doing this and they're doing that and they're drinking or they're gonna do this or they're gonna do that. I at least wanna I'll drive them there and I'll do don't facilitate sin in your kid's life. Don't allow sin in your home. Get the sin garbage out of your home and don't ever allow your kid to do sin in your home just to be safe. That's ridiculous. And I can't I can't believe how often I hear those kinds of stories going to take care of this kid while this goes on. Are you kidding me? You should condemn it in no uncertain and strong terms. Oh, but I don't want them to leave my home. They have already left your home. They are already forsaking the living holy God of the universe. They already have spit on your value system. If they're going to do that in your home or whatever it is they're doing, get it out of your house. Now, I'm certain he's fired up. I didn't... <laughs> I didn't have time for this in the two earlier services, so it's been building up. you got to be careful not to lose your temper in your discipline, right? And it's hard not to do sometimes when you hate sin and you're disgusted with the behavior of your older children. But I'm telling you, the point is, do not facilitate sin in your home. Do not facilitate it in your own life and don't allow it in anybody else's life. And we do not facilitate sin. If you're going to sin, you have to leave my house. You have to leave my property. You say, but they might never come back. Yeah, I know. And sometimes around 17 or 18, the reality hits you that you realize that the only school they have left is the school of hard knocks. And they might make decisions that scar them for the rest of their life. God forbid, they might even make choices where the wages of their sin is death. What are you going to do? They look in your face and they tell you, I don't care what you say. Well, I'm sorry, son. You're not doing that under my watch. Do not facilitate sin. Do not. Number eight, ingratitude and complaining. We've talked enough about words. Ingratitude and complaining. Resenting sacrifice and service. Um, Complaining about going to the church work night, things like that. It just undermines your spiritual authority in your home. And what that notice, then thirdly, this is all child connected. And let me just give you the blanks. You can understand what the point is here. So what is God after? What is God trying to what is God trying to encourage? Child connected letter A to fear God. We can look all these up. We're not going to you can look them up. Verse 2, verse 13. God is concerned about this transfer of generational truth that they fear God, that they obey God, let her be, that they obey God, that they love God. Another one, verse 12, that I didn't put in there, that you can add to the side. Remember God, verse 12. Remember God, letter C, love God, verse 5. Remember God, verse 12. Letter D, serve God. We want our children to love God, remember God, serve God, letter D, verse 13. Letter F, worship God, verse 14. Letter G, know God, verse 15. Know God, serve, worship, know God. That's the end goal. So young people who are here, that list right there, that's everything that your parents are trying to do to you. That's everything they're trying to accomplish. You want to know what your parents are trying to accomplish? They're trying to instill in you this awesome fear of God, this reverence for Almighty God, so that you tremble in His presence, and so that you bow before His Word in surrender and submission. They're trying to get you to obey God's commandments that it might go well with you. Worship, trying to get you to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to serve God, to worship God. You're going to worship something, by the way. You will worship. God created us to be worshipers, you know that, and so you will worship. The question is, what are you going to worship? Most often, that's a dichotomy. You're going to worship yourself and your own personal agenda, or are you going to worship God and His agenda? And to know God, verse 15, conclusion. I feel like I got too mad there. Please forgive me. I didn't, I didn't mean to come across so angry. I'm, I'm all good now. God takes parenting very seriously, doesn't he? Number one, God takes parenting very seriously. If you get anything from the passage, don't you get that from the passage? Number two, parenting is more about parents than children. You got to get that from the passage, don't you? He's speaking directly to the heart of the parent. It's more about parents than it is children. I mean, I said earlier, didn't I, that I think we need about a 12-week series on this because one of the whole messages that we need to have on this is is the problem with child-centric parenting. And parenting isn't about your children. Parenting is about you and them doing what you want them to do. Notice my chart on there, especially from ages one to five, it's law. Don't touch. You love your kid, but it's law. They don't know, they don't they don't know. They don't touch because you told them not to touch, and that's what's right. But as about five, four, five or six it starts to change and until they're ten, what are we giving? We're giving them the moral reason why. Why don't we touch those things? Why don't we terrorize other people's homes? Why don't we put our hands on the glass? Why do we why don't we bump our grocery carts into other people's cars? When they're 1 to 5, you don't do that. Well, more lovingly than that. You don't do that. (laughs) When you're 6 to 10, come here, let me show you the dent in my car. Daddy's side of daddy's truck. Somebody did that with a a cart. We don't want to do that to other people. We're to be kind to other people, aren't we, and loving. You see what I'm saying? And then when they're teenagers, what do you have to do? You have to bring it all together to where they have enough freedom, to where they're implementing their own choices. What are they doing? Are they developing in their moral choices? Have they figured out how to make application now? And you've got to give them enough freedom. And I'm telling you, if you don't give them, if you continue to treat a child in his teens like you do between 6 and 10, and you keep that going, when they go to college, they will go so haywire. It's unbelievable. They get, a t- they get a taste of freedom and they drink a little freedom and they will get so drunk on it. it makes them de- and so you better give them freedom at a younger age and you let them make some decisions and you test it and then you talk about the outcomes. You still have to guard them and then when they're 20, it's just too late. Nah. You love them, you pray for them, but you just can't make a 20-year-old do what you want them to do. I mean, you can, but... it leaves a real mess behind when you get done with your stick what are you going to do so you only have about 18 years right 19 years 20 years parenting is more about parents than children number three know that children are not robots children are not robots and you can't program them you can only just let the spillover of your testimony and your love for God and the wisdom that you have, and then you pray for God's grace to cover them. You say, Pastor man, what about Proverbs 22, six, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when they're old, they will follow that. They will pursue it. You know, that's an axiom of wisdom. That's a principle. It's a general principle. I can illustrate it. My mother-in-law is sitting right there next to my wife. You want to eat my wife's potato salad. You're eating my mother-in-law's potato salad. Janet learned how to make potato salad when she was a teenager, and now she makes really good potato salad. It's her mom's potato salad. Dad, she's old, she makes potato salad like her mom. My dad taught me how to keep a garage, and now that I'm old, I keep my garage exactly like my dad. You know? Not at all. (laughs) It's my dad's garage, it's my garage. It's not a good excuse but when you're old you know we learn all kinds of things don't we we learn all kinds of things when we're young and generally speaking we take that with us into adulthood it does apply to spiritual things but it is not a guarantee kids are not robots number five number four remember that God loves your children more than you do God loves your children more than you do that comforts me a great deal And number five, to the children who are here, will you look up and listen to me right now? Young people, if you you have a parent who loves the Lord, they're not perfect, but they love the Lord and they follow God and they care about the Word of God and they're trying to instill that into your life, all right, why would you make their task difficult? Young people, If you have a parent who's pointing you to Christ, you need to be so thankful. And you need to learn and grow and follow hard after God. Make their task of raising you up. Let's stand together and close in prayer.